Welcome back, everyone, to the Xamarin Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest and greatest in mobile development for Xamarin developers, covering the world of Xamarin, .NET, Azure, and more. I'm Matt Sokup, and today's podcast, we're talking about another cool app built with Xamarin called Siren Field User, created by a company called Medusa. This app is pretty cool. It helps paramedics provide better health care in the field. And today I'm joined by Dan McDonald from Medusa and Dean Faisel from the Mobile Customer Advisory Team at Microsoft. So Dan, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the app called Siren Field User? Thanks, Matt. Uh, just want to thank you and appreciate the time you folks have spent uh, to put this podcast together. And uh, thanks for having me here. So my name is Dan McDonald. Uh, I've been in IT for about 30 years, and I'm the VP of Product Development at uh, Medusa Medical. And uh, our Siren Field User app is used by paramedics in the field or mobile clinicians. And the idea is to make their job easier so they can do better patient care and chart that patient care better so you get a better patient outcome at the end of the day. So uh, uh, it's an app that's been used for about 20 years out in the market, and we're pretty excited to come out with a new version of it. Well, that sounds really, really interesting, especially about how it's not a new app overall, but the mobile portion of it kind of sounds like it's a little bit newer and we'll, we'll dig into that like especially like what is what it how it's built and why xamarin and uh, some of the performance not performance but the overall architecture issues and uh challenges that you ran into but first before we get into that i want to talk to dean a little bit um dean what was your role in this app you know a little bit about your background and actually tell us a little bit about the uh mobile customer advisory team um it's always fun to hear what you all are up to. Definitely, yeah. So I'm Dean. Uh, I work on the mobile customer advisory team. Um, we help customers with um, all sorts of mobile solutions, but we do specialize in Xamarin. Um, on my team, we we definitely help um, bridge the gap between customers and product teams. Um, so we help kind of um, with alignment, connecting the pieces. Sometimes we even do some um, cool engineering sessions with the customers. Uh, in this case, um, with Dan, we did design sessions. We did all sorts of things um, around um, architecture and also UI testing, things like that. And we'll get into a little bit more about how you helped out. But Dan, all right. So Siren Field user is it's been around for a little bit, especially the back end for it. Um, so, but why? Why did you go with a mobile app? What was what's what's the reasoning behind creating a mobile app here? Well, we work uh, in about ten countries around the world, and in one particular market uh, in the UK, basically the market spoke to us. So our, our Windows app's been around for about twenty years, a very stable app, and in this market they start to say, "Hey, we actually want to interact with our end users, our paramedics, better." And so what? The market said is we're going to issue iPads to every one of our medics. And in some of our customers, they might have 4,000 medics, 5,000 medics. And um, to issue a ruggedized Windows device, which is what a lot of our customers use today, the cost of those versus an iPad, there's, there's a pretty big cost difference. And so um, they want to be able to offer other apps on those iPads, so scheduling, HR, email. And so, you know, my team didn't have experience in that whole iOS world. I got a super talented team. I couldn't ask for a better team. We just didn't have that expertise. But we also had a vision 
that we wanted to be able to have an app that could run on any operating system, any platform, and really be the same core app. Um, and that would give even more flexibility because we have some customers who have said, hey, you know what? We'd like to have Android. You know, some Android devices are cheaper than iOS devices. Uh, there's different features between those devices. And so although the market had some uh, tenders that came out in the UK that specifically said iOS, we didn't want to lock directly into that. So we didn't want to create just a native app in iOS and then have to do a whole different code base in Windows and a whole different code base, uh, you know, in, in Android. And so we had to quickly make a decision because it was a tender that came out that had a really short kind of fuse on it. And so we went out and we found a partner, uh, MNP, uh, that I'm extremely happy with. And they had that Xamarin Android iOS experience. And so we basically augmented our team that has all the knowledge of our app and our market space. And we kind of had the best of both worlds and put the big brains together um, and then started on this project. And so iOS was obviously the first release we wanted to do, but but Android and UWP is definitely on that roadmap. Sweet. Sounds like the classic Xamarin use case. You, you have it running on generally a Windows. I mean, the app already exists. You had it running on Windows, and now you need to expand it to iOS and possibly Android. Makes total sense to reuse some of your some of your existing logic, your existing libraries. Let's bring it over to Xamarin. Why not? Makes 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 sense. That's what the that's the that's the benefit of doing it this way. All right. So, uh, Dean, the we had a quick tour of the app just before we started recording, and to bring our listeners kind of up to date of what we're talking about is there's a lot of fields in this app as the um, the paramedics can use to just enter data about the person who, who needs help. And, and like some of the things would be like date and time and like when, um, like the, the, well, the, I'm just going to make stuff up here. Like when the accident occurred and like what type of injuries the, the, the patient sustained and stuff like that. So tell me about the user interface. Cause there were just a ton of fields on here. I mean, that, that the paramedics could enter. So as we were talking, you told me some pretty cool things about all these fields and how they're created. Um, definitely, yeah. There's a ton of different screens, ton of different um, fields, like you mentioned. And the the funniest thing when I uh, came to the team and I, I wanted to look at the code, there was only like one or two actual XAML pages, and that was it in the whole code base. So I'm like, where, where's all the UI, right? And that's when... Um, uh, they explained to me that it's all generated from configuration, which is very rare, or from what I've seen. Um, we, usually, we come from like XAML first or code first, but in this case, it was just like backend first. It's all from configuration, and then they parse it into controls. So that was really cool. Um, and like you said, there's all sorts of combinations of controls, all sorts of dropdowns and date pickers and um, all sorts of pickers even. Um, and another cool type of field that they have is um, this screen where it actually pulls up um, a picture of a human model and then the um, paramedics can actually um, pick regions on the model to say like where the trauma is, what sort of um, injuries they've sustained and things like that. Um, yeah, and it's definitely really cool where they're pulling in um, all this data and parsing it uh, locally and then they have all sorts of customization options um, where it can be different um, based on the user, 
based on the customer who's using it um, or their accounts even. So definitely a lot of cool customization there. All right. Configuration first uh, programming. Yeah. That's that's. I guess that's kind of a new one for me. Okay. And Dan, can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to go that route instead of just doing like XAML or, or code first? I mean, that's that's not the typical way people go. So what what influenced those choices and why did you go that way? Uh, the big reason was because we already had a Windows app uh, several years ago. You know, we put our big brain people in a room and, and we had a challenge like a lot of companies did. You know, you st- our original app was a VB6 app. And so you might add 10 developers and they all went off and build their own screens uh, and it wasn't common architecture. Everybody had a database table separately for every screen. And so we wound up with about, I don't know, 800 database tables to represent um, all the, the data that you can collect in Siren, right? That's a lot to maintain. and so. We sat down and said, hey, can we come up with a generic way of representing that? And so we created a technology we call DAD, DAD, Dynamic Application Design. And we're able to distill those 800 separate tables down to about six database tables. And it's, it's, it's a generic structure that has this parent-child relationship concept and then the concept of properties. And so what we do is we configure these uh, controls we have. So there are 10, 10 or 12 controls in our app. So a date time, uh, a numeric field, a text field, uh, what we call a button list, which would be the equivalent of a drop-down list box in the web. We represent that as a bunch of buttons you would pick one or many from. And so it says, what 10 or 12 of those rich UI controls? But the idea is we built this generic structure that will define all of those and then be able to store that data in a generic structure. So we've got thousands of screens in our app uh, that, you know, it'd take you forever to go through every screen if you want it to, to collect all that data. But they're actually all the exact same control. They're just configured differently. So the, the name of the field's different. Um, whether or not you can pick one button versus many buttons, uh, different states of the buttons can be configured, the order that they're on the screen. There's a huge amount of these properties. So liken it to your Visual Studio. You know, how you have those properties in your Visual Studio uh, property pane. That's kind of the model that we followed. And so we had that running in our Windows product. And so we, we really needed to have the Xamarin uh, uh, product follow that same model. And so because of that, every screen is dynamically built what based on how you configure it. So as Dean said, you might load one configuration for a customer with the exact same code, the same release of our software, and I can load a different version that all the screens could be different, different fields on them, some are visible, some aren't, different orders. Um, it's, It's pretty wide flexibility. But, you know, the challenge for us then is that performance factor, because in a normal mobile app, you have a static, uh, Dean said, a XAML page. Wow, the app can draw that really quick. We basically have to load that configuration out of a SQLite database, put it in a memory object, and then basically render the controls in real time, both the navigation and the data entry controls. And so we had to spend a lot of time around understanding performance in the mobile world because in the Windows world, we had a lot more horsepower in our uh, Windows devices that we had running field user. So, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about performance. So are you still using all the built-in Xamarin Forms controls or did you have to drop down and do any custom renderers for it? So I guess speaking just for the dynamically rendered portions of this. 
I was going to say, I'll, I'll let Dean, he might be able to give some better examples. Our goal was uh, to leverage the power of Xamarin, uh, was to use as little custom renders as possible because we want to have most of the same code base uh, for us be able to compile into native apps for all three platforms through Xamarin. So uh, when we had to make some usability product decisions, we would tend to uh, lend ourselves more towards, well, let's tweak our functionality versus going to a custom renderer. There were some instances in the UI where we had to do custom renderers. Um, I believe an example would be for the date time picker in iOS. Um, we need to have the ability to, when you go into a date time control, to pick prior to arrival or unknown. So I get to the scene and there's a person there that said, I gave CPR and they don't know when they gave it. Uh, for any other treatment I give, I need to give a specific time because I did it. But if it was before I got there, I need to say CPR was given. Um, so we needed to have a little button on the top of the date time controller pick list, you know, where there's usually one that says like current or clear. We needed to add two new options there. And that was a custom renderer. Um, I don't know, Dean, if you can remember any other ones that we discussed with you, but there's very few of them that we've had to do that. And that was the power for me of the investment that has been put into Xamarin that I didn't have to do those custom renders very often. It showed me that the framework was pretty extensible. So Dean, um, as far as where the performance went with these uh, dynamically rendered controls, uh, what did you notice? Or did you have to really tweak it to make things work fast or... Did it just kind of you, you, you read that perform or you read the configuration file? You popped them on the screen and then you went home for a break. <laughs> How did it go? Yeah, there was a little bit of um, pre-planning that we had to do because um, another cool thing about the app is that it uses Xamarin.Form shell. Um, so with shell, um, you do have the ability to kind of. Um, cache pages as like templates, right, for shell sections. So you can have them load when the shell loads, or you can have them load on demand. Um, so in some cases, we did have to play around with kind of that loading time, right? Um, when would be the best time to actually uh, draw the controls? Would it, would it be um, before the user access them, or should things come on demand? Um, so kind of that kind of um, level of analysis in terms of the performance. Um, but in most cases, I would say it was um, on demand. So um, because of the um, mobile layout, right? Um, the I think the way they designed it was um, very smart where the screens weren't as crowded as they would be like on a desktop app. Um, so that helped a lot with performance in terms of like, you get what you need um, when you need it. Dean, one more question about, about this whole dynamically rendered thing. Actually, I got two more, but then I'll let it go because this is just really interesting to me. And I have seen this happen like in websites <laughs> and stuff like that. But And I've actually seen it once before in a Xamarin Forms one. And, it, and strangely enough, it was a sample app that Microsoft released that did this a couple of years ago. But anyways, all right. One final question. Well, the second Final question, <laughs> the penultimate question, Dean, is how did you do the the performance measurement? I mean, you, you, you mentioned that you went through and you kind of tweak or you went back and forth between using uh, the shell templates and to see if you should have them in memory beforehand. But how did you actually go through and do the measurement to find out what was uh, loading faster? Yeah, uh, so from, from my um, involvement with the project, um, it was kind of in, in the... 
I don't want to say beginning stages, like in the middle stages when they were kind of set up, um, we'd look at um, different pages um, just like at a high level and just from our own perception and not really do any sort of telemetry at that point um, and kind of do analysis that way. Um, I'm not sure, Dan, um, how the team tackled that after or if it, um, how, how they approached that. Yeah, and I'm not sure if we got into setting timers. I think there was a few things that we said, yeah, let's put some uh, uh, timers inside of things to see start and end to, to find out uh, the performance of those things. We've also had a balance. We've tried to do a balance in shell between um, rendering things immediately and having a pause. In, in I think it was in uh, Xamarin Forms 4.8, we were seeing an issue where we're having some issues. If the user went through the navigation too quickly, um, that a screen wouldn't render properly. And it had something to do with a collision of timing. And so we put a little bit of pause that said, let's wait, you know, whatever, a couple of milliseconds uh, after a navigation click has happened before I start to draw. And that way, if a user was tapping a whole bunch of navigation quick, I don't draw until kind of it settles down. So we did have to balance a little bit there around that uh, type of uh, timing. So let me get that straight, Dan. You intentionally slow down the application? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's how fast Xamarin is that you have to intentionally slow it down, yes. so the user yep. can catch up. Yep. It's it's more like throttling, right? Like when yeah, exactly. types in search and you're trying to autofill, and you don't want to autofill on every single keystroke immediately because they yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more question, Dan, I have about, about the dynamic rendering, and this is the final one, is that when we started talking about this, you said you had pretty much, it was just one control that did this all. Um, so can you explain that just a little bit more? I mean, is it just like one daytime control, or did you subclass all the controls into your own like Medusa super control so it can like pull all the extra properties? So you did, do you have like one meta control? for everything? Or are you really just using one Xamarin Forms control here? Or am I just getting everything wrong? Yeah, I think I might have described it a little uh, deceptively or unintentionally. So um, we have about 10 or 12 controls. So that, you know, there would be a numeric field control, a text control, a date time control, a button list control, a grid control. So there's about 10 or 12 of those. But each one of those, there's only one type of it. And then there's a a bunch of properties or configurations you can give to that. So say it was a grid control, you could say how wide each of the columns are, um, you know, and um, can you delete things in the, uh, with, with a left swipe, that type of properties. And then you can have 10,000 of those controls in the app and they're all just configured differently. So each would have a different f uh, field name because it's different data you're collecting, but it would be the, the same control used. From the UI navigation perspective, all the navigation is shell. And then what we have, maybe the one control I, I might have misled you on was we just have one I'll call data entry pane or screen, which is a flex layout. So that's a, another a Xamarin form control. And it's interesting, when we built our Windows product, we built a, a custom version in Windows of that flex layout, and we called it a flow layout. And the whole idea was I can drop, drop a bunch of UI controls on that and give and, and it knows how to read certain properties and then 
uh, render them. So the properties that Flex Layout looks at are what are the order of the fields they should show up in the screen? Uh, can I put as many as I can on a line and let Flex Layout figure it out? Or should I, can I hard code like carriage returns? Um, and then there's, there's UI stylings, like a set of fields should be grouped, like an address. So there's a UI kind of gray box in behind the addresses. Uh, there's linked fields, you know, uh, measurement, like your age and your units, right? So, you know, I want to be able to say I'm 52 and then you want to have a drop down list box or button list that are years, months, days, you know, that type of thing. And so that's each one of those screens you go to is field user has to dynamically figure out for the navigation you've gone. It's all a parent-child relationship, so I know when I pick that navigation, I know all the controls that are on that screen because um, they're all children of that navigation node. And then the flex layout basically gets thrown all those controls with all those properties and says, draw this for me. And that's all done in real time. Where, like we talked about, a lot of apps are predefined with XAML and it's all the same and it's just you know content that's different. Ours is that, like we talked before, is that that data-driven development uh, is quite different. And so with the structures, sorry, with the structures we've built and how we've built these is as we want to have new controls or add properties to controls, I can add a new control like code, like development. And now that control is available on every screen. Or if I add a new property to a control, it's available on every screen. And we have this tool called Configuration Builder that a non-developer, it's kind of like a the old style HTML editors, the WYSIWYGs. You basically just pick which control you want, drop it on the screen, tell it what, you know, you want the name of the field and all the properties you want. And now it's in the app automatically, no code needed. It's all done dynamically. And that's one of the big drivers for us with that dad technology is now if I want to have 50 or 1,000 new screens, I don't have to do any development and release, do a new release of my software. I just configure it in Configuration Builder, and it basically applies that configuration to the database. That is so, I mean, that is super interesting. And thanks for going through all of that because, I mean, really, you kind of did created a, you have the app, you have Siren Field User, but you also have this meta app, so to speak, sitting on the background that creates the user interface for Siren field user, which is super, super interesting. So I finally am going to transition off of the dynamic rendering and go to where the dynamic rendering comes from. And it comes from, as I understand, a SQLite database where it kind of pulls out the configuration. But what else are you all using uh, SQLite for with, within Siren field user? Dan. Right. So that SQLite database uh, stores that configuration and then uh, there's just one uh, database table that stores all the patient data. And so it doesn't matter which type of data is, a daytime control, a blob, it stores in that same database structure, one table. And that allows us now all these tools can work off that generic data structure. I don't need to know that there's these 55 or 100 different database tables to get data from. It's all the exact same database table. And what we drive is everything off GUIDs. So every, every item has a GUID to it. So I know GUID, I'm just going to use 55. It's not a true GUID, but they give it ID. 55, I know that means uh, a CPR treatment as an example. And so all I need to know is that GUID, and I can get that data out of the database, where in our old days, someone would have to find out what the table name is that had CPR, find out the columns in it, and write a separate SQL query. 
Um, this way, it's the same SQL query. I just need to know what the GUID is. And so it, it gives us a lot of flexibility. But what we, we have in our configuration, I'll say, is kind of your standard configuration of data. But then we've got data that the uh, our customers need to change more frequently. And so in the ambulance or the EMS space, every customer names their vehicles a different name. They have different users. They have different receiving locations that they transmit or transport their patients to. So we have a backend web application that allows our customers to type in what we call that reference data. And then what happens is they, they fill that data in the, in the web app, and then it automatically syncs that data out to every field user, as long as they're connected. And if it's in a disconnected state, the field user, as soon as there's connectivity, it automatically communicates to the server. And we have uh, this background service, uh, I think in iOS 13, they call it a background task. And it's basically a polar. So it wakes up every period, let's say every minute, and that that particular iPad with field user on it sends a message like a heartbeat to the server and says, hey, I'm this particular tablet, tablet with Dan McDonald logged in. What data do you have for me? And so we built this custom message la uh, messaging layer um, that co communicates over a web service back to our server. And so it'll say, oh, for that tablet with that user, I've got a set of data from 911 dispatch for the patient. So you can bring that down. You asked to do a patient lookup. Here's your data for patient lookup. Uh, oh, there's some new users that were added or edited. Here's your user data. So we have this constant heartbeat communication going on uh, between Xamarin field user and our server. And so uh, there's a huge amount of data flow that happens coming down to the tablet. And so we had to build our own communication layer because one of the big challenges we have is that we're different than a lot of other mobile apps is we have to work offline. So uh, a paramedic can't be, oh, I don't have internet access, so I can't do my job. And so that's part of why we use the encrypted SQLite database locally is we store all that, that patient data that we're recording in that SQLite database. And every piece of data that's entered, so every control you interact with to put data. So if I picked a date time or I put in a patient name, every one of those is a discrete piece of data that goes into the local SQLite database for the patient record. But then it goes in as a discrete message to our messaging layer. So as long as the field user has uh, connectivity to the server in real time, every data entry you put in goes to the server. So where a lot of like web apps and mobile apps, you kind of have one page, you fill all the data out and you hit next or save or submit. We don't work that way. We need to have the data in real time. And so every single uh, data entry thing you do is a separate message that goes to the server. And so we built up a robust, I call it intelligent messaging, where that data, um, we actually adjust how big of a package of data to send to the server based on how good the network connection is. So think of it like mail, you know, Amazon does this, right? Hey, I'd like to get five things in that package I'm sending to you, Matt, because it's more efficient. Well, I'm not going to wait five days, you know, to get that fifth item. I'll send you four today and I'll send the other one later. And that's kind of what our, our, our software does in real time, but it measures it. There's an acknowledgement message from the server. So when I send a packet from field user to the server, I get an acknowledgement back to let me know how long it took for that message to go. And so if it took a long time, then our intelligent messaging dynamically uh, pairs back the size of those 
uh, envelopes that I'm sending. And then if, if uh, it goes really quick, I build them back up dynamically. And so that's the stuff that was challenging to do in, in the, uh, the iOS world because you've got to be really conscious of battery consumption and memory usage. Um, and so I've been really impressed with what we've been able to do in Xamarin that we're able to have that intelligent messaging and, you know, it's not draining the battery, you know, instantly. That's actually super amazing. And I love that you're only sending what you need up there at a time, which is a lot of what, what a lot of people have front of mind when you're developing a mobile app. And you, you kind of compared it to what Amazon ships you. Um, and I, there, there's a joke in there, Dan, about maybe sometimes you get this huge envelope of just a little bit of data in there, but kind of how Amazon always sends you sometimes a big box with hardly anything in it. Lots of bubble wrap. Yeah, lots of bubble wrap. So maybe there's bubble wrap in there. Anyways, I'll, I'll, um, so another thing that really really struck me as you were talking before is that patient table. There's only one. There's only one table there, and so th- that kind of makes it easy. That uh, nothing's easy, but it makes it straightforward when you when you conceptually think about it. Is that every piece of data is a own separate row as far as when you go sync. Um, back up to the server, which lets you do it a little bit easier when you're offline and that you can really have a, you have a queue. And so I go in and I enter a date time of when I started my, my service. And then I have another, another row of saying, this is what I, you know, when, when I started C- CPR or that I started CPR and this is when I started and tell me if I'm wrong, Dan, on all this. And that kind of streams up to the server when I connect back online, piece by piece, one row by one row, and it makes it easier that you don't have this huge relational data sitting in SQLite with like CPR row, CPR table, and um, whatever head trauma table, and all that stuff. You just have one, and it just goes up one by one, and that that really helps out when you're doing mobile development. And you have this flat table structure. So did I? paraphrase all that correctly you did and there's one other twist to the data that we use uh you know we're a medical device and often you get sets of data and it's really important that that set of data has to go um as a transaction and so you don't want say part of that data somehow to be there and other parts not so the example i would give you know age so the number 23 for age makes no sense to anybody unless I say the units, years, months, or days. So we actually had to have this ability to have a transaction that said, I can't put, because those are two different fields. One is the age you know, number and the other is the units. And so I can't have just one of those go into the database because without them together, it, it, it's nonsense data. And so we actually had to build this concept of a change queue that actually runs in Xamarin field user in memory. And the idea is um, whenever that piece of data is entered, I need to do a couple things with it. And these have to be done as a transaction because they have to not only be in the local database, they have to make it to the server and be guaranteed of that. And so this change queue concept says, okay, I'm the UI. When I've done a, a, entered Dan, you know, as the first name field, that control now knows I need to change, I need to send a message to the change queue. And it says, okay, it's first name. It's, it's not a set of data. I can just stick that on the change queue. And then the change queue has to, um, transactionally 
store that name in the local SQLite database and put that record in the message queue for that intelligent messaging. If those both can't happen, it needs to back them both out because I can't afford to have the SQLite database not get that data, but the server does. Now I've got two records that that aren't the same, which you can't have. Um, but the sets of data, it would need to go in and say, yeah, I, I, if it's name or sorry, if it's age, I need to make sure I could put the, the you know, the, the 50 in there for the, the, the value and then years for the units. If only one of those can go in, I need to back them both out. And so we had to build these layers. I call them frameworks or infrastructure that you wouldn't see in, in any other app because again, you might just have one page you hit save on and then you do your analysis on that page because I have to do each field by itself, but one field might have a relationship to eight other fields or 20 other fields. And so there's a, there's an added layer of complexity uh, and computation that needs to go on and go on very fast because you can't sit there and hold the UI up while it's figuring all this stuff out. And I, Dean, I don't know if there's any stuff you want to talk about around the change queue piece. Cause I know that was a tough one to get our head around that you just wouldn't see in any other mobile app. Um, yeah. So the team, um, had a, a lot of uh, use cases where they needed to do a lot of parallel things with async and await. Um, so I pointed them to the TPL Dataflow library, um, which helps with a lot of this um, kind of structuring um, asynchronous data flows, right? Um, in terms of how um, how things can be arranged and how things, uh, how certain data points are dependent on each other. Um, so that was a really useful tool um, that was pretty specific to, or that was a great fit for this case um, that is, I want to say, um, underutilized. So here, here's the thing. I took, when you take a look at this app initially, I mean, from a thousand feet away, it just looks like it's forms over data. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's super, you know, it, it's easy to understand, yep. but there's just so much going on underneath it as, as we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So Dean, what was the most difficult thing when you come in mm-hmm. and on this app, pretty much, you know, it's, there's a lot of, it's opinionated mm-hmm. you know, way, way things are happening. What was the most difficult thing to get up to speed on? And the second thing here is what were you most proud of as, as you and the team came together and finished some, some things out? Yeah, I think definitely the um, page generation or control generation kind of threw a curveball at me because I'm very used to looking at XAML, seeing what's wrong, if there's too many nested layouts, things like that, right? Um, But in this case, since it's any control can be anywhere at any time, just based on configuration, that's kind of hard to tell, right? Like, um, how would you not have too many controls on one page, right? Um, so things like that, that was kind of uh, hard to wrap my head around in the beginning because like on um, on demand, you have these controls being generated and you can't really just look at look, <laughs> look at XAML or look at code and debug it, right? Um, so that was really interesting. Um, and then also the data flow part, um, that was kind of a mind warp, like trying to understand how they needed to um, consolidate blocks and um, tasks, things like that. Just getting that sync layer um, 
designing that sync layer in a way that it made sense, um, especially with iOS, with the background um, background service, because iOS itself has um, a lot of control over that. Um, so I'm kind of rambling right now, but those were two of the biggest kind of um, challenges with uh, helping out with this project. It must be pretty rewarding, though. You have all the just getting a handle on them and overcoming them, and then seeing the the coolness of it, <laughs> knowing that it's it's different than what a lot of folks are trying to do, and it works. And so that's that's super that's super neat. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, like at the surface level, it's it's an app, right? But you dig underneath, and there's just so much to it. Um, but yeah, and and definitely. Um, as it is a kind of a paramedic app, it's very like mission critical, which is also very rewarding. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The app itself is that's what one of the things we're trying to feature here on on the podcast are are apps that kind of stick out, and this one definitely does because it's really it helps people. It really definitely it helps people. So, Dan, kind of the same question over to you. What are you most proud of about this app? Yeah, I think from my perspective is, and maybe it's it's the app or and the team we put together is, you know, we went from knowing nothing about iOS and Xamarin to ramping up very quickly, uh, both with with my team and the MNP team as well as the the Microsoft team, and um, you know, we did a lot of kind of prototyping. One thing we did in this project we hadn't done before is TDD test driven uh, development, so. Uh, we made a lot of use of the the um, automated unit test frameworks that that Microsoft presides, and I think we've got 600 automated tests right now. Um, and we really tried to leverage. One of the reasons we picked Xamarin is we're a Microsoft shop for a lot of the things we do, and so you know we had a lot of existing .NET code that we're like, hey, if it's not UI, so that messaging layer I talked about, the intelligent messaging layer. Uh, for the most part, we were able to bring that over from our, our Windows product. We had to do some tweaks to make it work in .NET standard because I think it was in .NET 4.7 or 4.8. Um, but, you know, we have all that that complicated business logic and algorithms that are tried and true in our, our Windows product for, you know, 20 years. I don't have to go rewrite that in Swift or anything else. So uh, that's one of the things I'm proud of is that reuse of, as much as we could, especially the the high value um, high risk things that we did. Um, but I think, you know, for me, it kind of stuck home when, uh, the M and P group we're dealing with, we've, we've got a team of their group. And at one point we were looking to roll one of the people off uh, the project as some of the work was winding down. And, and I got a call from uh, that person's manager and they said, I got a problem. And I'm like, what's your problem? It's like, Bob doesn't want to leave the project. <laughs> you know, Bob's like this. I've never done a project like this before. And so, uh, and when I talk to the folks at Microsoft, Dean and Nate uh, and other people, it's the same kind of thing. Once, once they get their head around this app, I think it's one of those kind of career defining apps that you get to work on to say, I'm going to tell people about this for 30 years. I, 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 personally, I see it that way. And, and I hope most of the people on the team do as well. Oh, that has has to be a good feeling, knowing that you're both helping out the public at large. Yep. I mean, really, essentially saving lives and also making people who work for the app, you know, kind of, I mean, it's career fulfillment. And, you know, that's, what more could you ask for? That's <laughs> the ultimate. It's the holy grail. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Um, so w- one last thing that I wanted to talk about or uh, ask you is, 
really, we'll call it the pick of the pod. And Dean, what are you digging right digging right now? Like a TV show or a movie? What's what's really interesting to you? today oh man a couple of things so i just finished watching queen's gambit on netflix that was really fun um it's a show about chess so any chess fans i'm sure you'll enjoy or even not um it's very dramatic but bigger than that uh this year i was hoping to catch the dune movie um but uh, i just finished the books last year and um apparently it's um delayed so i'm looking forward to that just trying to hype hype myself up even more <laughs> that sounds cool I, I remember i remember the dune books but i did not know there was a movie coming out yeah it. super cool and dan same question over to you what's what is interesting you these days you know i think there was an original dune movie out got 15 years 20 there years was. was sting in it Yep, stay yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, so I, I like that. But it was a long movie, if I recall quick. The books were definitely long. Um, I'm just wrapping up. I just finished, uh, I think, season two of The Boys. Uh, I can't remember if that's on Netflix or Amazon. It's uh, um, kind of superheroes, but they're not the best superheroes. So it's a very gritty, uh, really well-written show. Um, so uh, I suggest people have a look at that. I, I was really excited about that. Dean, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on um, Twitter, if you look for Dean Faisal. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, those are kind of my main social networking channels right now. I don't have a Facebook or anything. Um, I'm also on GitHub. Um, if you search for Zamcat, that's kind of my team's GitHub. Um, you can check out some samples there, also raise some issues to reach out to me indirectly. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, and I, I'll put the Zamcat link, GitHub uh, repo link, in the show notes. That's actually an awesome repo to see a lot of best practices about how your team is developing and recommends developing mobile applications with Xamarin. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's actually, and it has an awesome logo Thanks. on there. Yeah. I, was, I, <laughs> I, was, I was telling Alex, uh, your manager, about the logo, and he's like, I didn't think it was that great. But yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I don't know what he's talking I, about. <laughs> I do too. Uh, Dan, so over to you. How can people find you and maybe even learn a little bit more about uh, the Siren Field user app? Uh, our, our website's uh, medusamedical.com. Uh, so you can get some marketing collateral there. I don't do a lot of the marketing social media pieces. So I do know we have a Twitter account and a few other social medias. But if, if you go to the website, you can kind of see links off of there as well. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dean and Ann. This has been a great podcast. We really got down deep, especially about that dynamically rendered controls. I I found those super interesting, so I kept on asking questions about them. But this was awesome. I mean, I really enjoyed it. So I hope our listeners did too. And until next time, this has been the Xamarin Podcast. <laughs>